Thank you for joining us on Vagina Talks. I'm thrilled to have you here and I want to have you everywhere we are. So I want to invite you to come check out the Patreon. That is where you can support, become a member, join the virtual temple, get behind scenes, all the good stuff, support this podcast so that we can keep bringing you the medicine, the free flow, the real, 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 real talk. Would love to have you as part of the community over there. Consider yourself invited. Come on over. I'm Samantha Rise, and welcome to Vagina Talks, where we speak about, to, and from vaginas. This is a show of alchemy, where we turn poison into medicine, disconnection into wisdom, and isolated wounds into communal peacemaking. Here's your host, Sophia Wise One. You already know everything they could teach you. You already know. We are here to remind you what you already, already, already know. Welcome to Vagina Talks. I'm your host, Sophia Wiseman, and I am grateful to the technologies today bringing us together. And I am really honored and excited to have a a, a woman here, a professional, uh, a knower of deep things, an embodied teacher about sex ed, uh, and so much more. Robin LaCrosse is a holistic health practitioner who specializes in women's reproductive health. Thank goodness somebody needs to. She has been teaching natural birth control methods for over 25 years because she is passionate about making sure every young woman grows up knowing and understanding their body and their cycle. Robin is on a mission to reduce unintended pregnancies and the spread of STDs in the world by changing the way we talk to our children about growing up, sex, and staying safe. Robin is also the founder of the HPV Education Project to raise awareness about the virus, new advances in HPV testing, and holistic methods of promoting cervical health. Much needed. Armed with a holistic approach coupled with the latest advances in technology, she is empowering individuals to protect themselves against HPV. Robin currently lives and hails from and joins us today from Tucson, Arizona, and works all over the world helping women to acquire the knowledge, tools, and skills needed to create greater reproductive health and well-being. Welcome, Robin. Thank you for being here. Thank you much, Sophie. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me today. I am so curious and so um, kind of revved up about this this missing information that that we have. You know, that's I think it's pretty common knowledge that our culture is pretty sex obsessed while being highly sex ignorant. Um, and all of the notions that go along with it. And so this notion, I think, that, you know, I, one of the things that comes to mind is I think a lot of people think that um, natural birth control methods are uh, not even real, that it's like a fictional thing that's not real, that doesn't work, uh, that couldn't be trusted. It's not a real thing. Um, and that STDs are something that we just need to be afraid of, um, never come in contact with, better if we don't talk about it um, or just talk about it with, you know, very limited things. So I'm really grateful for, for your, your mission. And I don't know, do you have something you want to start with? You want me to ask you a question? (laughs) Well, yeah. Um, It's so true. Um, 
there's a lot of ignorance around the female body and especially in the last 30, 40 some odd years, you know, like since we got like, say, for example, the birth control pill, you know, the natural knowledge of our bodies and cycles has really not been shared. And, and honestly, it really hasn't been shared all along. You know, I, I tend to think of, you know, like our ancient, you know, foremothers had a greater understanding than we do currently of our bodies and cycles. And it's a shame. I mean, because, you know, our sexuality is like such a big piece of who we are. And when we're using like, say, for example, hormonal birth control, it really, it shuts down our hormones, it kills our sex drive, you know, there's all kinds of side effects, including serious ones. And it makes me sad that, you know, that women are just not taught anything really about our bodies as we're growing up. And um, my own personal story really comes from those roots. Um, You know, when I was a kid growing up, my mom gave me the talk, and I had got sex education twice in school. And um, when I was 15, my mom put me on the pill when I became sexually active. And by the time I was 19, I really didn't want to be putting these chemicals in my body anymore. I was moving towards a more holistic lifestyle. I became a, a vegetarian. And the last thing I really wanted to do was be taking in these artificial hormones. And it was at that point that I realized that I didn't know how to protect myself from pregnancy and STDs really weren't even on my radar. And, you know, of course, this is all back in the day before the internet, you know, kind of thing. And so there just really wasn't a lot of information out there. And so what it did was it triggered a quest for information in me. And I started looking, I started talking to people, going to bookstores and like just looking through, you know, the books and seeing what was there. And one day I stumbled on this book called um, Natural Family Planning. And, And so I got it. And what I discovered was, is essentially it was a religiously flavored book on how to get pregnant. But the big piece that I took away from there was, oh my God, my body is doing like all this really cool stuff. And I had no idea that I could actually learn to tell when I was ovulating and use that information. And of course, I didn't want to get pregnant, but it just opened the door to this whole possibility. And what I did was I started going to the university libraries, like the medical libraries, and started doing research to find out what the scientists knew about the female body, about how herbs were affecting the cycle, the female body, and just like really took a deep dive into, you know, what was being done in the research and, you know, pulling together these pieces of information. And by the time I was done, I was like, you know, every woman needs to grow up with this information. And one of the questions that kept coming to me was, why didn't my mom know this stuff to teach me? And of course, I mean, I know the answer. She didn't know either. She did the best she could, you know, that kind of thing. But how beautiful would it be to, you know, have my mom be able to teach me this information? And so that's when I started, you know, sharing what I was learning. Eventually, I started, you know, talking to teenagers. And what I realized is, you know, they're not getting that information soon enough. And so I started talking to moms and help mom, you know, fill basically fill in the missing pieces of her education, because none of us got this. And even if we did get the best that we had, you know, society, our parents, you know, had to offer us at the time, it was still woefully inadequate. And, you know, and that's like, I grew up in a liberal state, my mom, you know, did her best, you know, kind of thing. 
the sex education, you know, in, you know, the state I grew up in and it's still good today, but it's still, you know, it all just falls short, unfortunately. So, so yeah, so that's why I do what I do. Great. Can you, I just yeah. kind of, I'm like in my own curiosity. Um, yes. One of the things is, you know, it sounds like, is it a little bit of this, like how to get pregnant and then an element of reverse engineering how to mm-hmm. stay not pregnant. And I, yeah. and it's like, I have that thing of, it's like, I'm like sitting on my edge of my seat. I'm like, okay, tell us the things we don't know. Like, yeah. you know, like what are some of the most common things that we don't know? Yeah. Well, um, let's start with the myth of the 28 day cycle. Great. Um, you know, I mean, the textbook, like what the doctors learn, et cetera, et cetera, you know, is women have a 28 day cycle, you know? And it's like, yeah, that that's that makes it nice and easy for anyone who's trying to learn about this stuff. But the truth of the matter is that ovulation varies. And even for women who have very regular cycles, you know, things like stress, illness, travel, um, all kinds of different things can disrupt when ovulation happens. It could be even be like when the sun and the moon and the stars have aligned in crazy ways. I mean, I, you know, I talk to women about this all the time. And there's like, sometimes like, certain months where like, I'll have like, like five or six women like write me and be like, I skipped my period this month, you know, like my tests are negative, like what's going on this kind of thing. And I'm like, you know, if, if you're not traveling, if you're not stressed out, you know, any of these different things, you know, you're not like a crazy athlete, you know, who just has stopped her periods because she's exercising so much, you know, this kind of stuff you know, sometimes we just don't know. And so I just, I'm just like, <laughs> Hey, you know, it's the universe has thrown you a curveball. you know, and this is a gift to make you aware that, you know, your cycle doesn't always do what you think it's going to. And so I think, you know, that's just something that's really great to be aware of is that, you know, even if you have a regular cycle, ovulation can change, and then that will make your period late or early, you know, depending on whether ovulation happens sooner or later. And so if you understand that ovulation can vary, then if you're, you know, using natural techniques to try to avoid getting pregnant, then, you know, these are things that you have to take into consideration if you want to avoid getting pregnant, because, you know, when, if you're using natural birth control methods and you make a mistake or something, most of the time, the result is that you get pregnant kind of thing. So it's not something that you want to like, you know, guess with basically can we define what natural birth control methods is and includes or doesn't include like what are we talking about yeah and and before i jump into that i just want to say too um that the reason that like i'm sure you've probably heard of the rhythm method right yeah most people have okay and so the rhythm method is essentially an educated guess based on your history of when you're going to be fertile. And that's why it fails is because ovulation can move. So like, say, for example, you have a cycle that's normally 28, 27 days, something like that. And so as long as nothing changes, you know, you're going to ovulate more or less on day 14 of your cycle. And it can be very predictable and that kind of thing. However, if the universe throws you a curveball for whatever reason, and you ovulate unexpectedly, you know, like at a time that you don't expect, then that's why the rhythm method fails is because it's not based on actual information. It's based on your history. So, so the rhythm method isn't like a daily checking. That's not usually addressing like a, like a actual active 
like present moment. It's like an assumption. It's like a calendar. It's, glance. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a calendar that you're basing it, you know, the decisions, your birth control decisions on your past history. Okay. And as long as your cycle doesn't change from your past history, you'll probably be okay. Right. But the reason why that it fails and fails fairly regularly is that, you know, life throws us curveballs. We get stressed out. We get sick. We travel, you know, and it's like, you know, all these different things. And so it can really just kind of mess with your cycle enough so that, you know, if you're relying on your cycle being the way that it's always been, then, then you run into problems. So to answer your question about, you know, what is, what are natural birth control methods? Um, there could be some variation in the definition, but essentially it doesn't include anything that has hormones in it. Okay. So that for some people, it may include like barrier methods like condoms and, you know, diaphragm, cervical caps, you know, that kind of thing Okay. because they're not hormonal. And then there's also a collection of techniques called fertility awareness methods. And these are scientifically based methods um, that track and monitor the symptoms that your body is sending over the course of your cycle. So this can include the basal body temperature method, mm-hmm. which is also called symptothermal. And the sympto part of it is like mucus observation. So you can monitor your, your cervical mucus. And that goes through, you know, changes in your cycle based on your estrogen levels. And then there's also um, ways of measuring hormones. And so um, probably your basal body temperature and your cervical mucus are the two primary methods because they're um, the cervical mucus is easy to see. You know, you can check in on it on a daily basis. And the nice part about the basal body temperature is while it doesn't give you any warning that ovulation is coming, it confirms that it actually did happen. And once ovulation has happened, you're non-fertile for the rest of the cycle, which is, you know, around 10 days or, you know, depending on your cycle, it could be, you know, a few extra days, something like that. But And so what's ovulation, like is ovulation like an hour when the egg drops or is that a seven, is that like a three day process? Like what is that post, when do we, what, what, when is after ovulation? Okay. So the way that the cycle works is let's say that the first day of menstruation is day one. Okay. And there's like this hormonal dance that's happening during the cycle. So basically what happens is during menstruation, all of your hormones are low. And then your follicle stimulating hormone starts to go up and that's going to stimulate the follicles in your ovaries. So there's going to be a cluster of eggs that start to mature and, um, you know, start to ripen. And as the estrogen levels rise, this, you know, development of the eggs causes estrogen to be released by the ovaries. And so there's like a feedback loop that's happening in the brain. And so as the estrogen levels start to rise, the follicle stimulating hormone is going to start to go down. And then there's going to be a luteinizing hormone surge and peak. So that is what the hormone that is going to suppress all but the most ripe egg. And it's going to cause the most ripe egg to finish its maturation and ovulate. So the luteinizing surge happens and it's like about a 12 hour window. So it's very small window that this actually happens. And one of the techniques that you can use for the natural birth control method is methods is to monitor luteinizing hormone levels. And I don't really recommend that people do that um, 
like say on a daily basis, because the tests can get expensive, you know, this kind of thing. And it's such a small window that if that's something that you want to track, you probably want to track your other symptoms. And then as your peak mucus is approaching, then you start monitoring that. And that can help you confirm that ovulation probably happened. It doesn't like, isn't an absolute, like the way that the basal body temperature is absolute. Yes, it happened kind of thing, but it does tell you that, yeah, probably you did ovulate because your normal hormonal events are happening, you know, as they should. So, you know, barring any traumatic thing happening to your body, you know, that, you know, suddenly shuts things down or that kind of thing, chances are ovulation will happen. So ovulation happens. And then um, the egg is capable of fertilization for a window of 12 to 24 hours. And um, one important thing I'll just uh, slide in here is that in the, if conditions are right, sperm can live in the body, they say between three and five days. However, I've personally run into sperm that can live for seven days. And so for people who want <laughs> this image of running into sperm seven days, yes. they're like, whoa, you're still hanging around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like Resilient. once they get out of the vagina and into the cervix, like the cervix has these little areas mm-hmm. called the cervical crypts. And that's where the cervical mucus is produced. And if they can get up in there, you know, it's like they've gotten like nice, fresh, fertile cervical mucus. And it's like it's just right for them. And they get all happy and everything. And they can just hang out and wait for the egg. And it's like, well, if you're somebody who's trying to avoid getting pregnant, you want to make sure that there is no sperm in, near, (laughs) around the vagina anytime in advance of ovulation. So for sure within that seven day window in advance of ovulation. And again, keeping in mind that ovulation can vary. So, um, you know, so that window between menstruation and ovulation, you know, depending on how long your cycle is, you know, some people, myself included, like, you know, I just wouldn't have sex in that window. Like once, like say day three, four, five of my period was, you know, done. I was like, okay, that's it. Condoms or no sex, you know, whichever. So, right. Um, or withdrawal. I mean, I've used all different kinds of things. So, but, um, so yeah, so once ovulation happens, you've got that window of where fertilization is, is possible. If there's going to be two eggs released in a cycle, it's going to happen in that window, you know, like twins basically kind of thing. So it'll happen in that window. And then once ovulation has happened, the hormones shift. So, you know, when the, you know, the rest of the follicles were being suppressed by luteinizing hormone, the estrogen levels drop a little bit. And once the egg leaves the ovary, the luteinizing hormone works on the injury left behind by where the egg was. So where it came out of and turns that into the corpus luteum, which means little yellow body. And what that does is it produces progesterone. And so for the rest of your cycle, progesterone is the dominant hormone. And its job is to finish preparing the uterus in case an egg is fertilized. So it'll be like this nice, lush, juicy bed for the egg to come and implant on. If uh, conception does occur, it takes the egg five days to make it to the uterus and implant. So, so yeah. So, um, and, you know, once ovulation has happened and the window for fertilization has passed, um, again, that's 12 to 24 hours, um, 
then you're non-fertile for the rest of the cycle. So I would, it's so funny because I feel like I kind it's like I have, again, more education than most people, but I still had the association of like, you wouldn't want to have sex after the egg dropped, but really it's the opposite. It's like, you don't want to have sex leading up because it will, because then it's like, it's, they're there and waiting. And that's actually right. the most prime time. Because once it drops, it's like, it either it gets met and, and has that journey, which you're saying is a, is a 12 to 24 hour period. So the egg is capable of being fertilized for somewhere that scientists haven't quite figured out exactly, you know, how long. Yeah, yeah. So somewhere between 12 to 24 hours, the egg starts to break down and then is no longer capable of fertilization. And so anything that happens to be left will just get washed out in the menstrual fluid and you'll never know what was there, you know. Wow. There's like, I'm so... I'm having a little bit of like a trippy moment here of like the the poetry of the body and um, this notion of like masculine energy, feminine energy, the creative process that, um, you know, that that creative – this is just – it's like really striking something in me. So it's like that creative inspiration, the like that egg, that like that anchor that's needed is most likely to come into something when that structure or that masculine um presence is there to meet the um it's like it's still another act of receptivity like that the that the that the that that there's this like giving that like mm-hmm. you know it's like almost the inverse actually it's like like the structure then creates the structure that then receives this like this like feminine the egg you know and like if it's not there then it's like missed a chance you know like there's mm-hmm. no comeback after um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's that magical, I guess there's that magical moment in that 12 hours. That's like a, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that journey time. But after that, it's like, it's like the, the preparation or support or the opportunity to honor a creative inspiration. The most prime time to do that is actually before the inspiration drops. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if we build a structure in our life that allows for our creative energies to be supported, then when the creative energies come, they're the most likely to be expressed and to come to full fruition. If we wait until or ignore or don't create any structure for creativity in our life, then when the creativity comes, it's a very short window. I think a lot of us have experienced that where it's like, I get this inspiration, but I don't have time in my schedule or I missed a thing and I don't have a pen and I, you know, that there's, and then it's like, and then you lose the drive. And then it's like, it's either it's gone, you know, the kind of muse method of like, it comes and it leaves, like the egg comes and it leaves and either you were, you were available and had, you know, we're ready to meet it right. and make something. Right. Sperm were there or, or they sperm weren't. were there or they weren't, you know? And then it's yeah. like, all right, moving on. Now we got other things to do. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll go, you know, we'll go to it. So took me out a little, little journey there. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that way. And it's true, you know, it's like, you know, we are receiving, you know, the man's penis, you know, his seed, you know, this kind of thing. And then the egg receives the sperm. The uterus receives the fertilized egg, you know, or not. And so, yeah, there's a whole lot of receiving happening in this body, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot, a lot of layers there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I'm thinking is that the experience, this uh, just kind of saying like this transition of, of navigating, um, uh, 
non-binary experiences and transgendered experiences of pregnancy and birth control um, and the energetic experiences or, you know, this process of, um, you know, it's like my birth control is like really, uh, you know, I married a woman. So that's, it's pretty, our natural method is pretty secure. Um, one of the things that we, do, <laughs> that we say, you know, is like, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like, we really have to be sure, you know, like it takes a lot of, a lot of effort and a lot of orchestration. Um, you know, and so it's one of those things where it's, I thought it's like, well, if we're going to get pregnant, I'll figure out more of this stuff later. But what I've been learning, cause I've been very menstrually focused. I, um, had a lot of troubles with my, uh, pre PMDD, um, in my twenties. So premenstrual dysphoric disorder, really severe PMS, um, really painful and uncomfortable periods. So that's what really initiated me into getting to know my vagina, my uterus, my womb, my energy, my, like in a whole deeper, much more focused way. Uh, and I think that, um, I, I figured it was like, I'll get to know all that stuff about pregnancy when it's time to get pregnant. And I'm definitely mm -hmm. having one of those moments of like, there's so much ripeness in terms of knowing ourselves. It feels like a, having a moment of like feeling a little silly like that, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, there's so much to know. And again, it's like, I know more than a lot of people about the, you know, the, the conception process energetically and physiologically. So I'm like, I'm, yeah, you're like tripping me out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I want to know so much more. Like, why just I'm still just that flip of like that the sperm essentially that the the most potent setup is the sperm being there first. Mm -hmm. And of course, having a healthy cervical experience is gonna help yes. you know, keep them there um healthy, healthy and well. Um Yeah. Well, and speaking of cervical health and well being, um, if I could just kind of go off please, on, a, on a little bit of a um, different direction, but, um, you know, when we decide, you know, with a partner to stop using condoms, um, you know, certain things can happen and, you know, and it's also worth noting too, that condoms, you know, don't provide a hundred percent protection. And, um, in particular, I have interest in the human papillomavirus and speaking, you know, your comment about cervical health, you know, just kind of, um, brought me to that because the human papillomavirus um, can adversely affect our cervix. And the treatments that are offered for the abnormal cells found on our cervix that are being caused by HPV can impact future fertility. And um, some of the procedures can damage the cervical crypts that I mentioned, you know, where your cervical fluids are being produced. And so that can impact um, not only fertility, but also, you know, the comfort and, um, ex your experience of having sex because, you know, the cervical fluids do provide lubrication and that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, HPV is another topic that I, you know, I'm very passionate about because for the most part, people aren't really talking about it that much. And, um, up until we had the vaccine for it, it really wasn't part of the conversation. And most people don't realize that when you go with a new partner to get tested for STDs, that they're not actually testing for HPV. It's a very, very common virus. And um, people may wonder why 
that is. And um, why? (laughs) Yeah, I have a couple (laughs) theories on that. Um, You know, one is we just haven't had good testing available. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the testing has been done in the research environment. Um, you know, either government or university research or sometimes the pharmaceutical companies now that they have their vaccine. But, um, you know, it's so it's 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 a big problem. And I kind of don't really agree with the way the medical establishment is is handling it because they're just doing you know, like they're cleaning up the mess. Essentially, it's like we know this is a super common virus. You know, we know that condoms don't provide 100% protection. More recently, in fact, very recently, there are now HPV tests that are available for both men and women. In the past, women have only been able to get tested for HPV as part of their pap smear. And in general, they don't check the pap smear unless you specifically ask or the pap smear comes back as abnormal. If it comes back as abnormal, again, depending on the way your doctor coded the test, um, they'll, in most cases, they'll automatically check to see if HPV is present. And, um, you know, the testing isn't that great. These days, they're usually identifying um, HPV 16 and 18. So HPV has many different strains. It's a, it's a wart virus. And so HPV can cause warts on your hands, on your feet, and also on your genitals. The ones that affect the cervix tend not to cause uh, warts that can be seen with the naked eye. And so um, those are the ones that we're more concerned about because they have a tendency to cause cancer Um, and a little bit harder to get rid of than just like removing the warts, that kind of thing. And, And that's where like these invasive procedures come in with abnormal cells and that kind of thing. So it's really become, you know, important to me to raise awareness and let people know that, you know, one, that this virus is out there, that it's very common, um, two, that there is actually tests now that you can get done, although your doctor probably doesn't know about them and doesn't offer them, but they are available online. Oh, they're online. I was going to say, is that something you can ask your doctor to do or is that something you have to then do yourself? You're probably going to have to do it yourself. Um, you know, if you're a woman, the doctor can, you know, do a pap smear and, you know, test that way. But what you should know about those tests are that, um, you know, there's many different strains of HPV. There's about 14, which are considered high risk. And those are the ones that can cause cancer of those. HPV 16 and 18 are responsible for about 70% or so um, of the cervical cancers. And um, so a lot of the tests, again, it depends on which test your doctor asks for in your pap smear because there's several. And so they might identify 16 or 18 and sometimes 45. And then there's a pool of um, the other ones. So like they'll test um, the other 12 or so uh, strands of HPV. But, and if you test positive, it'll just say that you're positive for, you know, this group, it doesn't specify like which in that group you have. And so some women will walk away thinking that they have them all, which is not the case. Mm. Um, so there's a little bit of confusion there as far as like when you receive the test results from the doctor. And and it's actually a really scary thing. The doctor tends to scare women, you know, quite a bit when they have an abnormal pap smear. They start talking about things like precancerous cells and, and that kind of thing. And it can be very scary. And what they don't really... Who came up with that phrase? 
the medical people. I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, I that mean, is brutal. Cells. It's, it's <laughs> brutal not good, phrase. but it's not cancer, you know? It's like, you know, and mm. and I think, you know, part of the reason, because what they don't tell you is cervical cancer tends to develop very slowly, usually over, you know, 10 years or more. The women who tend to be diagnosed with cervical cancer have neglected their pap smears for many years in most cases. You know, not always. There sometimes HPV 16 can be more aggressive and it has caused cancer in as little as 18 months. But for the most part, it's a very slow progression. And um, it kind of bothers me the way that doctors will really just rush women through like, oh, no, you have, you know, an or abnormal pap smear. Fire, fire, fire. You know, it's like and they rush them in to like get biopsies and, you know, rush them to surgery to correct the problem. And I think part of the reason of that is, is, and also for the reason of them scaring the, the women is because they don't want it to like get neglected or ignored or that type of thing and right. have it become cancer. And yeah. so while it's at the forefront of the mind, let's just deal with it kind of thing. Right. And um, there's a wisdom in that if it's a little manipulative. Yeah. Um, and it's aggressive. It's unfortunate that people <laughs> really just get the shit scared out of them, basically, you know? And, yeah. um, and abusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. not nice. And, but, yeah. I just, and, I, I just have compassion for people in the medical field knowing the truth of how much when often you give people leeway, um, they will take that leeway. And, mm -hmm. you know, so it's like that, that fine line of care, you know, but yes. that, yeah, but I, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I'm pretty, I've, I've been abused by such, by such things, carelessness and rushing and, you know, like medical yeah. trauma. That's a real thing. I didn't mean to cut you off. Please keep going. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's fine. Yeah, so basically they scare women and, um, oh, and what, what, you know, and what the doctors don't know is that actually the cervix responds really well to natural therapies and, <laughs> Um, you know, a lot of women can reverse the condition. Um, if it's like, there's different stages of, um, abnormal cells found in the cervix, you know, everything from mild, you know, moderate, severe to cancer. And if it's moderate to severe, you know, I encourage people to work with somebody, you know, a holistic health practitioner like myself or, or somebody who's knowledgeable about HPV and how to address it to increase your chances of success. But, for women who just have mild changes, you know, most of those will go back to normal on their own within a year or two. And so, you know, it's be diligent, keep an eye on it, um, take care of yourself. I feel like um, when you've been exposed to HPV, your cervix becomes like the canary in the coal mine. Mm. And so like if you're abusing yourself, if you're stressed out, if you're not sleeping well, if you're not eating well, you know, you're not taking good care of your body, if you're doing a lot of alcohol or drugs or that kind of thing, then your cervix is more likely to have problems. HPV will take advantage of your depressed immune system and will start causing problems. And so if you eliminate a lot of those things, um, get rid of the birth control pills, quit smoking, that's a huge one. Um, and, you know, just clean up your diet, clean up your lifestyle, that kind of stuff. And a lot of times this will, you know, go back to normal it's on its own. And if it's the more moderate to severe, then there are other things like, um, you know, supplements, suppositories, uh, topical treatments that you can do to help bring things back to normal. So do you, this might be a silly question. Do you put topical treatments on the outside of the cervix? Do you like manually? Yeah, we use, yeah. Is that like, do. that's like, that's how you would apply it. Like a topical 
on the cervix is like a vaginal topical. It's in the vagina. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. So, right. yeah. So basically, it's um, not like an implant past the cervical membrane. Topical. No, it's okay. on the cervix. Right. Yeah. So in the vagina. So like if, if you're using suppositories, they just go up into the vagina. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something else that naturopathic doctors do called escharotic treatment, which is basically um, it's damaging the, the, in particular, the abnormal cells and causing it to slough off and, you know, with the intention of regrowing new healthy cells and that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit of a caustic treatment. So um, needs to be used with caution, but it's very effective and it doesn't cut chunks out of your cervix the way the, the, the surgical procedures that the doctor would do. Right. Do. So in that regard, it's actually like a, a gentler procedure in comparison. It's like their degrees, they get more and more kind of. Yeah. It's not as, as intense as the surgery, but it's definitely more intense than the suppositories, you know, and that type of thing. So they are definitely different stages of uh, intervention just based on your situation and that kind of thing. It's all really just, it just seems really useful information. Um, I know for me, it's this, uh, like I, the sex education that I grew up with was very um, AIDS oriented, mm-hmm. and very kind of like AIDS plus other STDs was kind of the education that I got for the most part, um, and it left, I think, a whole generation of people very scared of sex and health and partners, and I think there's a the the cross section between education and awareness um it's like it's kind of similar it's kind of like a, a micro macro of 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 the medical it's like care fear and abuse and care right to um like what is this this like where is this empowered place of not being afraid of stds but being aware and conscious not being meaning not being afraid of sex, right? Like, like, how can I be aware of STDs or STIs? um, And, 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 and have my eyes open without just looking and going, Oh, my gosh, I'm terrified. I never want I, I just can't even, you know, it's like, I remember right. being in my twenties being like having a long-term relationship and being like, well, I don't want to break up with you because I don't want to have to take a risk of we're both like clean, like this notion, you know? Um, and the way that I think it also can be so stigmatizing to essentially like healthy, like you talk about kind of taking good care of yourself. Like I know there are plenty of people that are take really good care of themselves with HPV, um, and a number of other viruses and, you know, haven't had an outbreak or a circumstance for 10 years or 12 years or 15 years. And that, um, you know, that they are, they are as safe as any other sexual partner, um, because of the, the overall health, yet they have this diagnosis and how they navigate that. I just love if you would speak to that. Yeah, sure. So the viruses in particular are, you know, the things to watch out for and, you know, like herpes, um, HPV, AIDS, you know, hepatitis, all those types of things can be transmitted sexually. And with the exception of HPV, we can test for all of those. And, um, you know, with herpes again, you know, and actually with herpes, for example, 
um, a lot of people carry the virus and don't know they have it. And so having, um, you know, like when you get a new partner, it, you know, I mean, and we're not talking about like, you know, if you're somebody who does hookups and this kind of stuff, one night stands, then, you know, that's a little bit different kind of scenario situation, but just like talking about in this, in this, you know, um, making this a position that, you know, that you're looking at this person as a potential for a long-term partner kind of thing. And you, the relationship has progressed to the point where, you know, you're having the conversation about sexually transmitted diseases, about sexual history, um, you know, this type of thing. And, you know, I mean, it really doesn't matter how many partners a person has had because HPV in particular is so common that pretty much if you have sex with somebody new, you've got a 50-50 chance of being exposed to it. So, you know, I'm, you just can't, you can't live in fear. You know, I mean, when I, when I talk about HPV, um, I kind of compare it to two different viruses just to kind of give people like something to relate it to. Like, for example, it's pretty much as common as the flu. Okay. And, you know, everybody gets the flu. We all get over it eventually. Occasionally, if you've got a, a weak immune system or you're a little baby or you're old, you know, it can become worse. It can become pneumonia and maybe you can die. Chances are that's not going to happen, but it could happen. Well, same kind of thing with mm. HPV. It's, it's out there. Your immune system is your best defense against it. Mm. And, you know, if you get it, I mean... It's not that big of a deal. It doesn't impact men all that much. And I'll go back to that because there is something that men do need to be concerned about. But, um, you know, for, for men, it doesn't impact them that much genitally. I mean, it does put them at risk for penile cancer and that kind of thing. But again, these are not really common. And the body can clear HPV. So in general, they say, you know, a year or two um, type thing. So if somebody has HPV, it's not, it's not like it's a death sentence, you know, it's like, okay, I'm aware that you have this virus, but I like you enough that, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, you know, it's like, it's like, I like you enough to have a relationship with you. And I'm not going to worry about the HPV because I know if you take care of yourself, chances are you can probably get it to go away. It's the genital and, flu. Yeah, pretty much. That yeah. does change it in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, so it's not like you throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. You know, no. it's like if this person is worth it, you know, then I wouldn't hold HPV against them. You know, I mean, but it, what it does is it kind of makes you a little bit more selective. It's like, mm -hmm. you know how good a candidate is this person for me, you know, kind of thing. It's like, right. you can be a little more choosy, you know, type thing. And, you know, I do encourage people to take advantage of the testing that's available. You know, it's like, get the antibody test for the herpes and make sure that you're, you know, that you don't have it. If you do, then again, you know, it's like, you just take precaution. If somebody has, you know, like if they have a history of say cold sores or something like that on their, on their mouth, then, you know, at least for sure, if they are like stressed out, sick, or, you know, have an active sore on their mouth, it's like, you don't want them to go down on you, you right. know, because the oral herpes can go genital. It prefers the mouth, but it can make itself at home in the genitals. And, um, you know, and then the same thing with, you know, the herpes, the genital version, it's like, if, if, you test positive for the antibodies, then again, you know that there's a carrier and you just be aware of, you know, 
that there could be an outbreak. And then the person who's positive for it just needs to be vigilant. You know, like chances are there might be some symptoms that come up or if a blister appears, you know, to communicate that with your partner and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, I've dated people who've had herpes and I haven't gotten it from them and my tests are clear, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, you just be diligent and you be aware. And that's really what it's all about is being able to make an empowered decision, mm. you know, and, you know, I mean, if you're just you know, like having random, you know, sleepovers with different people, then, you know, I mean, the, clearly that has risk and that kind of thing. And you're probably not going to get them to, you know, go and do a test. Maybe they have, you know, tests available, but, you know, if they're in a pattern of, you know, sleeping with a lot of people too, then, you know, those tests may not be current or up to date type thing. So, and yeah. then that and that lifestyle choice protection is really just yeah the, condoms yeah it's, it's dental dams to, yeah yeah female condoms provide better protection than male condoms because they cover more of the outside surface area oh. you know so that's something that's good to know too because you know male condom just goes to the base of the penis whereas a female condom you know goes out and around the vulva you know so. It can definitely be a lot more protection. So, so yeah, so there's definitely things you can do. And then the other virus that I tend to compare HPV to to help people understand how the, the virus um, acts in the body is um, HPV can, they used to say that once you get it, you get it for life. And more recently, they're saying that some people can clear the virus. Now, the question is, how do you know? Well, the truth is really you don't know um, who's cleared the virus and, you know, who has suppressed it because we haven't had adequate testing. Mm. And so as time goes forward and our testing gets better, maybe we'll figure out the answer to some of these questions. But HPV, if it's not being cleared from the virus that, uh, from the body, then it can go dormant. And if it's dormant, I don't know for sure if you still test positive. I'm not sure. Again, that's one of the, the questions because, um, you know, when women has her pap smear, they don't normally test for HPV unless it's abnormal. So even if she had a history, if she's not asking for them to go and check for it, then if it's normal, they're probably not checking for it. Yeah. So, so HPV can go dormant, just like herpes can go dormant, you know, can hide out and you get outbreaks, that kind of thing. And so when I talk to people about it, um, you know, I invite them to think about the chickenpox virus. Most of us had it as children. And when you get older or when your immune system, you know, takes a hit, you can get shingles. And so that's kind of like HPV has the ability to do that sort of thing too. Like it can hide out, you don't know it's there. And then all of a sudden it pops up and you get an abnormal pap smear. You know, a lot of women, for example, um, one of my recent clients, uh, she just went through a divorce and she's been with her husband, you know, for 10 years, um, you know, and during the divorce, HPV popped up, abnormal pap smear. And she's like, you know, my life is falling apart. You know, it's like, I've got all this stress. I'm going through divorce. And now this on top of everything else. And I'm like, yeah, well, you're not alone. It makes total sense. It's like your immune system is down. HPV was present. You know, you picked it up. It could have been, you know, 12 years ago from a previous partner. Maybe your partner had it and he's stressed out and is becoming, you know, active and he's giving it to you. I mean, who knows? And so even when women like get 
an abnormal pap smear out of the blue and, you know, get diagnosed with HPV, it doesn't necessarily mean that their partner was cheating on them. Mm. Um, You know, that can be the first assumption that some people make. Of course, it could be that they did. I mean, who knows? I don't know the situation. But in general, like the doctor will say, you know, it's like you can't know who gave it to you kind of thing, which I don't necessarily agree with that thinking, because when I've been exposed to it, I know who exposed me. So, but, um, but anyway, so it's just one of those tricky, sneaky little things that you have to be aware of and, you know, do what you can to protect yourself and not live in fear. You know, it's like, if you're, if you're out there dating, you know, it just means that you got to have these conversations with people. And I know that they're challenging conversations to have, but honestly, if you can talk about sex and money, you can talk about anything. So (laughs) (laughs) it's true. It's totally true. And, you know, I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, we want great sex, you know, I mean, there's no reason for us not to have amazing sex. And in order to do that, you have to be able to communicate about sex. And so, you know, when you're going into a new relationship, it's a great way great place to start, you know, health first, safety first. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of those things where it's like, you know, uh, it can be a way of really revealing more about a partner, especially if they're a newer partner, as you get to know someone, like how willing are they to have this conversation? Like, even if they're not willing to spill all their personal details, which, you know, can take time or be a thing, but the process of the willingness to have the conversation or the perspective or the approach or the care around health um, or collective well-being can be really indicative of someone's perspective on collective well-being. Um, mm-hmm. so, so I think that it's like another that I've, I've, I've heard people say like, well, what if they get weirded out when I ask them if they want to take a test? And I'm like, is that the person you want to be with? Like, th- right. like that, you know, and and maybe they just need someone to invite them into that, give them a chance and you may learn more about them than you want to know, but don't you want to know? And I feel like that's kind of my answer of my own question kind of earlier. It's like, you know, we don't want to look at things because it scares us. um, But then we're just wasting our energy efforting by not looking at things as opposed to looking at things and finding out and then knowing if we need to take a different kind of care of ourself or a different kind of care of our partners or potential partners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and inviting your a new partner to like go to the clinic or doctor with you and get tested together, you know, it can be a bonding activity and, you know, and then shows you kind of the level of commitment too, you know, because if somebody's not willing to do that, then, you know, maybe they just don't care. Maybe they're not interested in their own health. You know, maybe it's not worth it to them. You know, like they're not that interested in you, you know, right. as far as a long-term partner or whatever. Right. I mean, who knows? I mean, I don't know, but I don't know how people think, you know, everybody's different. So, but you know, totally. Um, well, thank you so much for all your information. I have two kind of questions here as we kind of move towards wrapping up. And one is a logistical check-in here. Um, you know, what resources do you have for people? Do you recommend of your own or other people's um, website, social media? How can people get in touch with you or find out more about your work or get someone they know, either themselves or someone they know connected with you as a practitioner or uh, resource? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Um, so for the HPV stuff, since we're talking about this right now, um, 
I have on my website, which is hpvedu.com. And I have a, a downloadable handout that you can get that talks about different strategies that you can use to protect yourself from HPV, especially like if you're dating. And so that can be a really great resource. And on that same page, I have information for mothers who are considering whether or not to vaccinate their children against HPV. So I know that that is a, is a question that, you know, a lot of moms, um, you know, have to deal with. And so there's some good information there for, for moms. And then there's a link to the HPV test kits. So if you and your partner would like to get tested, you can uh, order a copy of um, the test kit. And there's two different versions of that. You can get the full uh, HPV panel, which is like it's going to test for 49 different strains of HPV and tell you exactly which ones you have. So it'll identify both high risk and low risk. The low risk ones um, are more associated with the genital warts. And then there's a, another test, which is a little bit cheaper, and that's just testing only for the high risk. So it'll identify 16, 18, or the pool of 12. And um, I personally like the DNA version because, you know, if I'm helping a woman, uh, you know, address the stuff naturally, it's helpful from my perspective just to know, like, which strains she's dealing with so we can know, like, how aggressive we need to be, you know, in our approach and, you know, is she at risk for some of these, um, you know, like genital warts, that kind of thing. And so it's just the more information you have, the better decisions that you can make. So, so I personally like that one. And then there's also um, a free webinar for women who have had an abnormal pap smear or have been diagnosed with HPV. And it's, that webinar is designed specifically for women who have just received a diagnosis. They probably have a lot of questions. They may be feeling scared after their doctor just told them that they have precancerous cells and told them that they need to come back for biopsies and possibly surgery. So um, Seems like a good pair if you're going to test yourself too. do your own kit. Mm-hmm. And watch that as like when you get your results back or maybe before. <laughs> yeah. Well, either way. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, and when you go for your pap smear, you can request that they test for HPV. If you're over, I don't remember, it's 30 or 35, um, at least the way Obamacare is at the moment. Um, you know, if you're 30 or 35, I can't remember exactly the age. But um, you can request that they do co-testing, which means that they do the the pap smear and they'll do the HPV test separately and regardless of the result of your pap smear. And so I encourage people to do it, you know, just find out, you know, have you been exposed to any of the high risk ones? And if you have and your pap smear is still normal, great. That just means, you know, take care of yourself, um, you know. I'm in the process of developing a protocol to, um, you know, see if we can't eliminate the virus. And so I'm going to do um, a little test project on that and uh, we'll see what the results are on that. But, but yeah, I mean, I think it's possible to get rid of the virus, um, but I can't prove it. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so maybe with, you know, my new experiment and these new tests and we can get more information. So, yeah. So, yeah. But, um, yeah. so yeah, so that's how you can find me for the HPV stuff. That's hpvedu.com. 
And then for the natural birth control stuff, um, that one, that website is fertility diva and diva is spelled D E as in Edward V a. So diva.com. And, um, there's resources. My blog is there. There's a bunch of information. Um, so you can learn more about the different, uh, birth control methods and also natural birth control there too. Awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Thank you for your your work and uh, your knowledge and just educating us and bringing us all of us more forward into it. Um, so my closing question is a is a little bit of a a visioning process. Uh, I understand that we're. I personally really view that that we are all of us that are doing this work to heal or educate are doing it from a place because we actually believe a different world is possible, mm-hmm. right? That like, not only can we make it a little bit better, but we can actually foundationally evolve and, and live in a, in a more equitable and, and healed place. Mm-hmm. And so I'm asking people to share because the journey from here to there can um, seem vague and a lot of us are still trying to figure out what that what that quote unquote better world or next phase would even look like. And so I'm asking you to contribute to the the vision board, the painting of what is this world that we believe is possible? What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? So a story or an image or an association or a song, just kind of whatever that is, something, something that kind of that 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 deeper that calling in it's a putting out mm-hmm. but also that calling in yeah you, you know you know what i'm talking about i know about. i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> exactly i 100% get that question so for me personally um it's a world where we're raising empowered daughters and conscious sons it's a world where kids grow up knowing and understanding their bodies especially you know the girls growing up and understanding their cycles Having the knowledge to be able to prevent unintended pregnancy without having to rely on hormones, um, to create the kind of life that you know we dream about, the kinds of relationships, you know, having that lifestyle, the relationships, um, you know, just situating your life in a way like like creating the vision of your life and then being able to put that into action and. You know, if you have babies too soon, it can make that harder, um, you know, that type of thing. And so what I really just want to do is is to empower people to really take the reins of their life and create what they want their life to look like. And, um, you know, and I know that that goes like so far beyond like the whole conversation about sex, but really it starts there because, you know, our bodies are our temple. and you know, we grew up in this messed up world where, you know, I mean, look at all the people who are talking about, you know, the Me Too movements and this kind of stuff. It's like, you know, kids are being abused and, you know, women are being, you know, taken advantage of, you know, sexually, you know, sexually harassed, assaulted, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's really like, I feel like, you know, by empowering moms to have these conversations, like we can shift the way that our society views women and having these conversations with both the girls and the boys is really where it starts. And, um, 
you know, and then the whole STD conversation, that's just part of that. It's just a piece of that overall education, that overall conversation. And I would really love to see this as an ongoing conversation that starts in childhood that goes, you know, for the rest of our lives, because sex is great. It's, it's a part of who we are. And, you know, as a culture, we are just, we're just like in knots over it. We can't talk about it. You know, it's like, we're got all this sick and twisted stuff happening in our society. And, you know, I really just want to see us come out the other side and, you know, have true equality between the sexes, the genders, you know, for everyone to be inclusive, you know, for all gender, you know, however it manifests for you, you know, kind of thing. And, um, you know, it's like, we're all one, we're all one. We are just people we're here to love and, you know, so let's be healthy and whole while we do it. <laughs> yes, please. I'm in. Yes. <laughs> let's be healthy and whole while we do it. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Robin. Thank you for your wisdom and your work. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you, Sophia, for, you know, inviting me and having these important conversations. I mean, we definitely need to be talking about our vaginas a lot more. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, because sex is beautiful. It's fun. And our bodies are just amazing. Like our cycles are just, you know, the female body is just so amazing. And even if you're like somebody who chooses not to have babies and that kind of thing, it's like we have all this creative Uh energy in us and if we're not birthing babies we can birth projects and we can bring so much good to this world i mean really Mm -hmm. yes we're gonna end there really yes thank you so much for listening thank you so much and thank you sam thank you sophia Remember, everything that we talked about in today's episode will be in the show notes. So go there for links. For more content that you're going to love, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to this podcast. Share this episode with anybody you think you'll enjoy it. And share the love with a rate or a review wherever you listen. And to find out about all the mad adventures I'm up to, check me out on Instagram at SophiaWiseOne uh, or come to my website, SophiaWiseOne.com. I am Sophia Wiseone, daughter of the wind. I am calling you to rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up and take your place. Thank you, gorgeous. I am thrilled and grateful for your support listening to this podcast. I want to invite you to come check out the Patreon. If you think this podcast is the bee's news and you're grateful that it exists, I want you to know I'm grateful that you exist. Come join the Patreon. I call it the temple. We are healing. We are musicking. We are podcasting. We are together. Come check it out. You can find it through Patreon backslash Sophia Wise One or through my website, sophiawiseone.com. Y'all know you need to hear that, though. You know. If you don't know, now you know. If you don't know. Okay. Yo, I'm so excited about Vagina Talks right now. Don't pretend like you don't know this is the best podcast you've ever listened to. Don't pretend like you don't know. You know.